What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today on Anatomy of a Movie, we return to the DC Extended Universe with David Ayer's Suicide Squad. We discuss story production, and of course, reception. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Suicide Squad, a highly anticipated movie from Warner Brothers, and today on Anatomy of a Movie, we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. That's right, and if you're a fan of Popcorn Talk, specifically DC Movie News, you might know her, or if you ever caught an Anatomy of a Movie, or just love AfterBuzz TV, or in fact, Screen Junkies, or The Tomorrow Show, where is this girl not at? Yeah. Roxy Stryer. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. I have not done one of these in a while, and I'm glad that you brought me in for this one. You guys shunned me away. You didn't want me anymore, but when oh. it comes to DC, you pulled me back in, so at least I have some value. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> so valuable. We have to get an expert. I like the cross-pollinate. Yeah, I, I do love that, and I'm excited because this is even more in-depth, and we get to break it down, and I'm... I can't wait to hear your guys' opinions going into this because we come in with varying degrees of knowledge of DC Comics. So it will be really exciting to see how you guys felt. Yeah, Absolutely. it'll be fun. A couple of quick things before we fully dive in. Number one, uh, it is very spoiler-filled for those who are joining us for the first time. So we assume that you've seen the movie. If you don't mind the spoilers, you've been warned. Uh, second, you can always download our rundown in the description box so that way you can follow along with what we got. Um, also... We are going to approach it from a filmmaking standpoint, so yes, we will talk about story and everything else, but at the same time, we don't go into the DC stuff as much. That's why we have DC Movie News. Speaking of which, our own Mike Kalinowski did a, a short pieces called Character Corner, where he highlights the origin stories of each of these characters from Suicide Squad. So, uh, again, this is not, you don't have to just, this is not the end-all, be-all show. There's plenty of moving parts here at Popcorn Talk to dive deeper. Um, that being said, let's start with you, Marissa. Overall thoughts? Overall, you know, I was actually pretty excited to watch this film. I think it's a great star-studded cast and loaded, literally, with a bunch of great talent. So I was really excited to go see it. And, you know, having it's always fun watching stories where there's so many different types of characters and they're thrown together and you kind of want to know what crazy awesomeness comes out of it. I thought that was this movie. It was. I thought it was very fun, energetic. There was humor in it, and you know, it was fun. And we'll get to the reception, but I don't think it was nearly as bad as what people are saying. It had its moments that were really fun, and it had its moments that could have been better. But overall, I don't think it was a terrible movie. It was actually fun and entertaining. I saw this movie with a bunch of critics because, thanks to Phil, I went to a screening of it, and. The theater was very low energy and quiet, and I think that affected uh, my viewing experience because, as we will speak about later, not the critics' absolute favorite film of all time. But for me, 
I feel like I brought a lot of backstory into this film. And because of that, I was able to use my imagination and make up all the things that they left out. Two-thirds of this movie were very strong for me. A third of it, not so much. And I think there were small changes they could have made in order to make this a great movie. But for me, it was just good. Yeah, I I would feel overall the same way. Um, I wanted this to be a lot of fun. And I think overall... It, it was. It just um, – it, it seemed a little bit too simplified for me. I wanted a little bit more action, things like that. Um, you know, I will commend them on the fact – it's always very difficult to um, write a story about bad guys because you have to make the good guys be worse than the bad guys. And I, I think through Amanda Waller, they actually accomplished that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give them credit there. Uh, you know, and, and it's one of those things – that the unfortunate part is I, I was rooting for it to be better than it actually was. And um, and that's the tough part about this because I, I do want to see these great movies. Um, and the thing I question uh, myself about this isn't a knock on the movie at all. It is like you. I wonder if, if I don't have all the knowledge because for years, you know, I've seen the, the 1960s Batman. I've seen obviously Nolan's iteration of it. I've seen the, the, the bad uh, bat suit with the nipples and everything. I've seen it all, right? <laughs> Um, and I wonder if I didn't have that knowledge, how this movie would come across, hmm. you know? And, uh, and I, I thought overall it was just too music video-y. It looked like someone, it, it literally looks like some of the stuff that I would have edited in high school just to practice editing, where I just throw everything against the kitchen sink just to mm-hmm. see what I'm able to do, you know, between the graphics, the music, you know, the, the, the cuts and whatnot. Um, and I thought... Jared Leto, to me, was one of the better parts, and I, uh, they had a lot more footage of him that they cut out. I wanted to see that a little bit more. Okay. So, there you have it. That's my thoughts. Um, but let's start with, with the development of it. Um, you know, I mean, we, we know DC's trying to catch up to Warner Brothers, um, and I think that that might be part of the problem is that they're just trying to play catch-up too fast, and so their development process was somewhat non-existent. Right. When we announced our slate, uh, you know, I I don't like to say that we're trying to catch up to Marvel because I know that that is a popular opinion. But I think that DC is is clearly doing their own thing and taking the smart things that Marvel is doing and trying to incorporate that. That's why we do have all these changes on an executive level being made. But DC announced their slate and I was a little confused. This was a couple of years ago. at the very end of that slate, we've got Shazam. Now, I we know nothing about what's going on there. That it really, other than The Rock being cast, which people don't even know what's, what's happening with that movie. I'm not sure that DC had any idea what they were doing when they were like, okay, we're going to first do BBS, then we're going to do Suicide Squad. Uh, these are all the things. Uh, let's lay out till 2020. Well, why don't we try to just figure out what the next movie should be and do a good job with that and then work from there. But because Marvel announced their slate, DC felt obligated to do so, and that rushed us into development, I feel. Yeah, but to be fair, I didn't even know this was part, uh, like this tied in that much to Batman v Superman. I thought Mm -hmm. it was more of a standalone, to be honest. But, you know, I don't mind it. I actually didn't uh, in that sense, but... That had been discussed earlier on, but then when we knew that Batman was going to make cameo appearances, obviously we knew we were close enough by that we were all going to be on the same earth and same timeline. 
Yeah, I don't agree you need to necessarily have to know what all happened in BVS because I think at this point there's been so many movies and just television shows of Batman's story that we all just kind of know who Batman is. And when we saw Batman have his little appearances during this movie, we can understand, like, oh, that's what Batman does. He gets the bad guys. And we didn't need a story for him in this movie. Well, I, I don't, for me, and not to veer off too much, but it wasn't, it's not even necessarily Batman. It's the fact that Superman's dead. Right? And, and if you didn't see Batman v Superman, you're like, Superman's dead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Since when? It's, it's that, and it's also the post-credits, the mid-credits scene that you would be confused about, I, I think. But they did give you the knowledge. It's not like they never said, Superman's dead. So even though you might be like, what? What just happened there? How did Superman die? That would only encourage you to go see BVS because that's a wild thing. So at least they filled people in on what the important things that they missed. Yeah, yeah. and I liked how it actually opened that creative door to be like, Hey, since our biggest iconic good guy is gone, that allowed the bad guys to rise. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, D- David Ayer, he was drawn to this because this is like his dirty dozen. Um, he-, he liked that side of it, and he, he felt that this universe uh, with DC was just so rich, and there was so many things to explore. Um, and so he was excited about it. But it is reported that he had about basically six weeks to put a script together before they went into production. Um, Which, that's not a long turnaround at all. It's not enough. Yeah. Some people can't even write a first draft in six weeks, mm-hmm. let alone a, you know, polish the version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of David Ayer, and I think there was a lot of pressure on him, especially after Zack Snyder got completely, completely torn apart after both of his movies. So after you see what happens to Zack Snyder, it's got to be a little nerve-wracking for David Ayer going into the DC universe where I feel like he kind of went in, one hand tied tied behind his back, and just trying to figure all of this out. I'm a huge fan of his work. I think he's very talented. Do I think this was his best work? No. Do I think he was giving the resources to make this his best work? Maybe not. Although he publicly has said that he was in charge of this, he was able to do everything he wanted, that WB wasn't uh, wasn't giving him a lot of crap as they were with Snyder, and Snyder came out and said that. So it, it, none of us really know the whole story. It would be interesting to be a fly on the wall and know how much of this production was David Ayer, how much was WB, how much was anybody else who was on the project. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, he says that, but I don't. I don't know if I fully buy it. You know, it's 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 one of those things. Like, there's so much money put into it um, that yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have their hand in it. And the problem is, what's nice about this movie overall, it is a standalone piece. Like, I think I think as this continues, you can see the rest of the movies, and you don't have to necessarily while this ties into them. Um, again, it's very much like you can watch this on its own. And so even if it was slightly different, I think they let him have his thing that way. You you know what I'm saying? Because unlike Batman v Superman, they didn't have to set up the Justice League. They didn't have to set everything up. Um, But uh, I I don't fully buy it. Yeah, I I don't know if I do either. And John Ostrander, who who wrote the Suicide Squad comic books has been vocal after the movie came out. Say, he, he seems very bitter. He was like, listen, the critics don't like this movie because they didn't want to like this movie, and they this market is super saturated, and they just don't want to like superhero movies anymore, so that's why they gave this a bad review, and, and he's been really loud about being pissed off about this. 
But the counter to that is, okay, if critics don't like comic book movies because they just don't want to like them anymore, then why is Marvel doing so well with the critics? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's also, and that must be frustrating for Ostrander as well because David Ayer is a big fan of the Ostrander series and whatnot, and he took a lot of that creative inspiration for this film. So to have David get criticized on his end and also in parallel with Ostrander himself, it's like that's not good for both of them. Right. Even though they put... Granted, they only had six weeks, but, you know, they, they work hand-in-hand hand together for this film. And it's just unfortunate to put that much work in, just it gets criticized so much. Although the fans are speaking very highly of it so far, so I think that they're finding a saving grace in that. Even though the critics are knocking this down, a lot of the fans are speaking up and saying, hey, we love this, you guys did it, you, good work. So at least they do have that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope... There's a lesson to be learned there. Like it happened with X Men Apocalypse, where they weren't given the time that they needed. It ha- you know, obviously it's ha- at least in terms of the critics, we have yet to see it, how it fully pans out in terms of box office. Um, it's it sort of happened with this. You know, you can see the shortcomings because of time. And I really hope, like, I'm good with uh, you know studios making these types of movies. It's not like I'm telling them don't make these, but just realize that no matter what you can how much money you throw at something, the one thing you can't solve for is just creative thinking and time. Uh, and, and so I do want that to kind of like, let's stop with all these deadlines. Like we have to like get this, pump this out that fast and just take a little bit of time with it. It's very challenging because now nowadays you need to pick the date of your movie so far in advance to say, hey guys, that's our date. We're claiming this date. So that Marvel doesn't put a movie there, so that Disney doesn't put a movie there, so that these huge, huge tentpole films don't go on your date. So it, it's kind of like calling dibs on something before you even have something to put there. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to say, all right, in three years from now, on this date, that's when this is coming out. Well, what? Well, okay, ha- take the best Batman series, arguably, uh, with, with Christopher Nolan's, right? How many years was each one of those separated by? Very far apart. Those were way further apart than... No, it's Christopher Nolan, and he's a huge draw, I get that, but, you know, he had the time to really do what he wanted. He did, mm-hmm. and there also wasn't the messiness of pulling in other movies that were tied. You know, that was a trilogy, it was set to be a trilogy, and they said, okay, run with this, but... He also had goodwill in the studio's eyes because the first movie did very well. The second movie did even better, you know. He he just kept building that. Uh, and for DC, I think that they're kind of they're trying to switch it up. Maybe are trying to do what Marvel's doing, chasing after something that might not exist. I don't know. Um, I just felt, uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me, I, I wanted this more of a comedy, and I guess it was, just wasn't, you know. Like it, it relied too much on the, uh, the the actual techniques of the movie to make the humor versus like just letting the characters be funny. How did you feel about that? Did you want it to be funnier? No, not really, because I didn't expect this to be a comedy. I expected this to be a darker film because we had dark villains in it and darker storylines and a lot of violence as well. So I didn't go in thinking, oh, I'm going to laugh a lot. I'm gonna, I went into the seeing like, hey, this is going to be an action comedy or an action-filled kind of movie. There was a lot of criticism about people wanting this to be more funny or less funny. And it's interesting because, again, comparing to Marvel, which has a lot of humor, DC 
people make fun of because everybody thinks that there's somebody standing over at DC saying, guys, we can't be funny. We're dark and gritty. We're dark and gritty. We can't have humor in this, which obviously is not true. But they are a darker, grittier world. That's the world that they have created. And when they went back to do reshoots on Suicide Squad, rumors took off that they were going to film things because they were funnier. They were going to put in the jokes. That's what they were trying to do to compete with Marvel to make it ha-ha funny. That's not why they did the reshoots. As a filmmaker, as you just always you, need reshoots, need, especially yeah. at this scale. You need reshoots sometimes. So they went to do those reshoots. But now it's interesting because we have characters like Will Smith who are funny in this, and then we have characters that are very serious. People are like, well, pick a tone. If you're going to be funny, you have to be funny. Why can't we just live in a world where sometimes it's dark and sometimes it's funny? Kind of like the actual world we live in, where some people are funny and some people aren't. Well, to me, the reason why I thought this was going to be a little bit more funnier than it was is, um, yes, I think Batman and Superman and and those guys have to be a little bit more serious. There's, There's a lot at stake. But if you're the bad guys, it's all a joke to you. Like, the whole concept of world domination, at this point, I think we can laugh about, and especially if you're like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do world domination. I think that, though, with... Go ahead, Marissa. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's like, I felt that the story was, or just the movie itself was rather darker. It had darker content, darker characters and whatnot, and there were small moments of levity, and that's where the comedy came in. But it wasn't stretched throughout, like, oh, my God, we're going to be laughing every five minutes, like... A squad full of comedians is not that kind of movie. Right. But it it is a good point that they don't care. They're the bad guys. So it is all all kind of a joke to them, which I do think they depicted in Harley Quinn's character, who obviously did whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. Same thing uh, in in, uh, Jai Courtney's character in Boomerang, who is just cracking the beers and is like, all right, I'll go along with you guys or not, whatever. Will Smith's character did the same thing. Croc, who they didn't do it as well with, because we'll talk about his character in a little bit, but he had, they tried to put some humor in him too, so I do think we still got that sense of... I think he had the funniest line in the entire movie. Don't don't say it. Why not? Don't tell me that you thought that line was good. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> I hope you're not think, talking about what I'm thinking you're talking about. I'm good looking. Okay, that one, okay. I thought you were going to say the BET one. No, no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no. Are you kidding me? Yeah, uh, okay. That was fine. I like her. her <laughs> he has the weirdest one-liners. Okay, well, not enough about his character, but I do think that they did try to put humor in the right moments and show that these characters, they are the bad guys, and they don't really care that much. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask a basic question. Who did you guys gravitate to most? I I loved El Diablo. Not just because of Jay Hernandez. Uh-huh, I know, Phil, you're looking uh-huh. at me. No, okay, but, Jay Hernandez was just, just I mean, in Bad Moms. I'm a big fan of Jay Hernandez. Me too. For multiple reasons. And that character but, was amazing. Uh, El Diablo was a big surprise to me, and that's why I liked it. Because I, like, I admittedly, I don't really know these characters. I don't know the background stories. That's why you have, you're here, Roxy. But... I so I wasn't really familiar with El Diablo, where he came from, what happened to him, and whatnot. And then when he was slowly revealing his backstory, and I felt like, hey, this is a damaged guy. There's something deeper within. And then we found out his story. It seemed like more real because there are people who struggle with family issues, depression, and whatnot. And I felt that was very realistic, and his emotions and how he went into situations and why he was so with drawn back and withheld. Sometimes I felt that was very real. And then he had his moments to shine and 
very redemption, you know, redemptive and whatnot. I was like, this is a really cool character. I completely agree. And he was a massive surprise because going into this, everybody was like, Will Smith, Margot Robbie, Jared Leto, Will Smith, Margot Robbie, Jared Leto. Right. Nobody was talking about the actor or the character. Nobody was mentioning him. He, he was in marketing a little bit, but probably as much as Slipknot was. And we all know that Slipknot made it for about 13 seconds of the film. <laughs> the so, and, and then got blown up. So it was like, okay, I didn't know that El Diablo was going to be this important in the story. When we started spending a little more time with him, I thought, where are we going with this? And I loved the place that we went. It was unfortunate how we he ended up, yeah. because I don't feel like that was maybe necessary. I, I wanted to keep him around. Be, just because now we know he's in this universe, and now we know he's and not. He's gone. <laughs> right, and, I, and he was one of my favorites. But my absolute favorite was Margot Robbie's portrayal of Harley Quinn, because I, there were very high stakes here. I had incredibly high expectations going in, and there was almost no way she could match them, but she did. And I thought she did an amazing, amazing job. I loved the way they wrote her character. I thought that she knocked it out of the park. She was weird. She was quirky. She was hot. She was disgusting. She was her own woman and her own character, and not a female role model, because people keep saying that, like, oh my god, hashtag relationship goals with her and the Joker. (laughs) Guys, no, no. no. Well, if they got married and actually had kids and settled down, then yes, perhaps. Like, come on, that's not what this movie was trying to say. But I love that they made this partially her story, and as an independent woman and all of her weird quirks, I thought she did a really, really strong job. I'll give a lot of credit to the fact I thought her performance was really strong, but at the same time, if it didn't, if other people didn't play to her in the correct way. It wouldn't have been believable, and I thought everyone else around her treated her like she was. You know what I mean? They, they reacted uh, genuinely, absolutely. And so I give a lot of people credit for that. Starting with, um, I actually this was one of the minor characters, but I, I did enjoy the uh, the guard or whatever you want to call him in the prison, mm. <laughs> the sadistic oh. bastard that he was. That uh, was he was your favorite. He wasn't my favorite, <laughs> but I, I did enjoy him because he, he, right off the bat he's very funny. He's like, "That's a you know." She's hot, but that's a whole lot of crazy. Yeah. Um, that's true. He played well to her. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, the biggest surprise... And as well. Mm-hmm. The biggest surprise for me, though, was Enchantress, because I was not expecting... Like, it was a whole left turn in terms of story, character, and everything else. I thought we were In a good g- way? Uh, for me, I think that was the biggest knock I, I would have on it, is I would have preferred, like, let's go after the Joker, you know? Rather, and then let's have the Enchantress on our side. But to, but to like, and maybe it is to that point, like, we just got Apocalypse um, and X-Men, and he's kind of that sort of take-over-the-world type of being that it just felt too too much of the same. Right. I, I think it was good that they didn't go over, you know, and take out the Joker because I felt that storyline has happened too many times. In television and all the other movies, you see Joker, he's the main villain that they're always after. So I'm glad that they... Sh- Switched it to someone completely different. Yeah, I have thoughts on what both of you guys just said. Starting with Enchantress. Remember when I talked about the one-third of the movie that was not good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she made up, like, 90% of that. Mm. Oh, my God, did they butcher this character. 
She, I don't know what they did with her voice. I don't know what they did with that weird dance she did. Uh, June Moon, who uh, uh, Cardi Levine did a fine job with, but was very boring. And then as Enchantress, it just became this weird thing. I was so excited when I saw that we were going to have a female villain. They kept that under wraps really well, where our big bad was going to be a female. That doesn't happen very often. How cool. And then was just majorly let down. I don't know whether it was her performance or a combination of her performance, well, the direction, the, the editing, her brother, which was so strange and unnecessary the way they did that. Just, I, I, can't, I can't believe that they decided to put that on screen. But I don't wish it was Jared Leto. I don't wish it was the Joker as our big bad. Because, like Marissa said, we have seen that time and time again, and I think that they have bigger plans for this Joker. Mm-hmm. Again, we will talk about how much they left on the cutting room floor of the Joker, but this is somebody who is going to be in the next Batman movie, is going to be a villain for a long time. It's the Joker. He's probably the biggest comic book villain that there ever was. He's definitely one of the top ones. So... We have time to play with him. In this movie, in Suicide Squad, I loved that he wasn't that big of a part of it because this is Harley's story. It's not the Joker's story. And if he comes in, then we don't get Harley's story as much. So I wanted him to take a back seat. I was glad we didn't see him that much, even though I did like his portrayal of the Joker. I thought Jared Leto did a really good job. But we'll get more of him. So let me ask you guys this. As you guys are talking, I, um, I started thinking about what if the Enchantress, like, what, what if instead of going after the Enchantress, there was another mission that they had to go on? And it could be small, that's fine. But she's really responsible for, for uh, disseminating the Suicide Squad from the inside out. You know what I mean? Because she's on the inside, but obviously she has her own agenda in, 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 in worse ways than obviously what the rest of the Suicide Squad I could I could be into that as long as she didn't blow up like Jigglypuff and do like her little <laughs> dance that we call the potty dance because she had her all her little like poopy villains going on. <laughs> uh, so if if we played the whole thing differently and somehow she man- manipulated people from the inside out, I could be into that. But they would have to change so many things about her. Yeah, I I had serious issues with the Enchantress. Like, I think it's obviously awesome to have a female villain, but I don't know if it was, like, a But to me, the brother. The brother was the villain, not her. She just kind of set things off. I know, but the thing is just, I I was trying to, throughout the whole movie, I was trying to figure out where Enchantress fit in with the Suicide Squad. If she was, was actually originally a part of them and then turned on them, or, like, just literally went AWOL and went her own ways and just tried to destroy the world. And I... I don't know, and I didn't like the portrayal, and I think it got hokey at the end, especially with, like, the whole voice dub, and I'm like, I don't know if I should even take this character seriously, because she really isn't that threatening anymore. It, it, feel, it felt like a joke to me. It was. It felt like a joke, and I didn't know whether that's what they were trying to go for. I don't think so, but... I think, so. I, I think we were supposed to be afraid of her, and I really wasn't. Mm-mm. Not at all. I, I definitely wasn't either. They not not their strongest villain no. choice. Yeah, and um, the, I I don't want to like knack Cara Delevingne, but I've seen her in other movies, and I don't think this was the best role for her because I think she's too much of a recognizable face that it took me out of the film, and I was like, okay, she's there. Out of all people, she's the most recognizable that took you out. Yeah, well, as opposed to I, Will Smith, I went Margot to Robbie, go or watch this them? film and wasn't expecting Cara Delevingne at all. 
Okay. Yeah, it's challenging when you go from being a model and it does just it is just about what you look like to well, she was in Paper Towns, right? But then going, did you to see be, that movie? It was bad. That's what I was going to say. Okay. To then going to be an actress where you need to not be yourself, you need to be somebody else. And I I don't want to completely bash her because a lot of things were wrong with this character, and maybe it wasn't her. Yeah. That was that was making it so bad. Maybe she was part of the problem, but not the whole problem. But I haven't seen her in anything yet where she wowed me. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen her in anything yet where she even okayed me. So uh, I, well, apart I'm with from Marissa, Paper Towns, exactly. what, what is there that she's been in? I don't remember. Mm-mm. Nothing. No, no. Nothing really else. Oh, okay. So then just Paper Towns. But right. her portrayal in Paper Towns was even that good because I didn't like her, it was so mundane. It didn't transcend it, yeah. And she, I don't think she has the, I don't, like, granted she's a model, she's gorgeous, but she's I don't know if she has the acting capability to get, like, emotionally in-depth with a character, to get the audience to actually feel for a character and draw out a storyline. I also think that she, and I don't personally know her, I think that she probably has a challenging time getting along with people sometimes and following instructions. We've seen her go on many talk shows and insult the hosts, walk off of set. She, she's she got attitude. And as somebody who has attitude, I understand that I don't know her and maybe she is a perfectly great girl and maybe she just has some spunk to her. But from what I have seen, I'm, I'm picturing David Ayer like trying to tell her something, trying to say, mm-hmm. okay, here's what you have to do here, here's what, or an acting coach or anything. And I just picture her being like, I, I do what I want. That's what I do. So I could be wrong, but that's the vibe I get from her. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if she has the acting range for us. Well, let me ask this. Did, did, did you guys buy the love story? Because I, I thought if they got one thing wrong right with them, I thought at the very least Joel was able to – Joel McKinnon, uh, Rick Flagg was able to sell the love story a little bit. Mm, I do have something to say about this. Uh, <laughs> and I think – a lot of films, not just this one, but we've talked about it time and time again on all of our anatomies and whatnot. There's always a great difference with age difference between casting of the male and female. Joel Kinnaman, who's in his mid-30s, and then Cara Delevingne, who's in her early 20s. And I think the age gap is just so far that I could not believe this relationship at all. And I don't want to keep bashing on Kara. I don't mean to sound like that at all. But every time they were together, I didn't feel like they had chemistry at all. Therefore, there was a disconnect, and I couldn't believe this relationship. I didn't have a problem with the age gap, and I do feel like Joel Kinnaman in that one scene in the bed when they were lying there, they did a good job, and I felt a connection. As June Moon, Kara didn't do a bad job, so... I think that the character was a little weak and lame and there wasn't that much to her. And as Rick Flagg, I didn't feel like there was that much to Joel Kinnaman's character. So when you take these two characters, neither of which are my favorite character in the movie, and you ask me to care about their relationship, care about, Cara Delevingne, pun intended, but if you ask me to care about it, it's challenging because I don't even care about them really when they're separate. So now you put them together and it's like, all right, I get it. You're trying to tell me they're in love. Fine. Okay. All right, sure. I, I, I will say I thought the reveal of um, of all of that was that's something that they could have fixed. It's either have it be um, dramatic irony and let us know from the get-go because we pretty much knew or just hold it off until um, 
uh, Deadshot confronts Rick Flag because like oh, we got like the smallest amount of por- proportion of what wasn't already filled in. Like we knew she was the one responsible. We knew pretty much the entire story with the exception of like she took the bomb or something. Do you guys think this would have been a more believable love story or you would have been more interested if instead of being Joel Kinnaman, it was Tom Hardy who was originally cast um, and no longer was in it based on a couple of things, The Revenant and his first reading of the script in which he said he didn't love the characters, the character, or that's how rumor has it. Do you think that Tom Hardy would have done a better job? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. You don't think there was any saving Rick Flagg's character or their relationship here? I didn't have a problem with Rick Flagg's character. I don't know what everyone else is saying, but honestly, he was one of my better characters that I actually liked watching throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I will say this. Like, yes, Tom Hardy is a phenomenal actor. But you know what? Believe it, so is Joe McKinnon. Like, he's capable Kinnaman, of great... Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He, he can do great work. And so, you know what? I don't mind giving him a shot. Um, and to be honest, like I said, I, I don't think he did that bad of a job. It's interesting because on the DC panel, we've been very split. And I am a big Joel fan. I think he did a really good job. But a lot of the panel feels like he gave the worst performance in the movie. And it's so crazy how people can have such drastically different opinions. Because I'm mm-hmm. watching the same movie and I'm looking at him and I, I think he did a good job. I think he worked with the material he was given. So people can just see different things sometimes. Yeah, I kept watching the film and I was like, wow, he's getting a lot of screen time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, good for him. And Phil and I, we did the Rewatch the Killing show, which Joel was a big character in that show. And like, I think he did... Great job acting in that film. Saw him in uh, Robot Cop and uh, RoboCop, and I thought he was great in that. So, like, I'm glad that he was given a role that he could really shine against so many people who are already big names. Right. Yeah, and he he had to keep all of them together. I mean, you know, just psychologically, can you imagine like you're the leader for Will Smith and Margot Robbie and Jay Hernandez and everybody else? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's, let's talk about Deadshot because we'll be remiss if we don't actually talk about Deadshot. I loved him. I loved him. I thought Will Smith did an awesome job. Uh, I was really nervous after the trailers that he was just going to be totally Will Smith, Will Smith, Will Smith. And I thought he gave this one of the top three performances in the movie. I was so pleasantly surprised with his chemistry and Margot Robbie's chemistry, and they kept me engaged for most of the movie. I thought Will did an awesome job as Deadshot. I agree. Like, I, I love Will Smith. He's a phenomenal actor. We know he can do comedy. We know he can do drama. And he has great comedic timing with his lines and whatnot. And he's already worked with Margot Robbie in Focus, so we know they already had a built chemistry there. So he was fun throughout the whole movie. Even the storyline with Deadshot always wanting to be with his daughter and whatnot, completely believable. And that was something that like kept him going throughout the whole thing and kept motivating him. I believed it. I believed every single aspect of his character. And I think Will, because he, he's so freaking talented, he hit every single mark. I, I, I think it's talent, but also, I mean, what people don't always think, he, he's a hard worker. Like back in the, the days of French, Fresh Prince Bel-Air, he would literally memorize everyone's lines. Because that's the way he, you know, otherwise he wouldn't understand the script and he wouldn't know how to like when to say what he needed to say. Um, and so for this, the fact that, like, he trained with Navy SEALs and he went, yeah, yeah, and all that, like, did he need to? I, I don't know. Maybe he did. But I think 
yeah, you could just fool that on, you know, like, hey, point the gun here and we'll just make believe that it went straight. Yeah. My biggest problem with his character was not something Will Smith did, but was a, a piece of the story, which is when Enchantress is showing everybody their truest desires at the end and they're all thinking about what it is they want. I thought a lot of those were really off, but the fact that we saw him killing Batman... I didn't think that this film led us to that point. I didn't feel like that was justifiable. I wanted to see him picturing himself with his daughter because that should be his truest desire. And I and you could take the leap to say if Batman, if he kills Batman, Batman's out of this world, and that means that he's able to do what he needs to do in order to provide for his daughter by killing other people, and Batman will come after him, and blah 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 blah. But really, that in itself was the longest explanation right, exactly, ever. Exactly. <laughs> But that's, that's me saying I'm bringing my own backstory to this. Right. I don't want to have to do that for a film. I want you to show me that at the end of the day, what he wants is to be sitting with his daughter. Because that's what you told me the whole film. But now mm-hmm. you're showing me that his truest desire is to kill Batman? Well, that, that doesn't seem motivated. We don't even know what Batman did to him. Uh, we, can, we can guess. We saw that one scene. But we really don't know. So I didn't, I didn't like that choice at all. Yeah, and it, it seemed like... He, he was blaming Batman for his problems. When he, he, he was beyond the, the daughter, he was not one to... He was honest with himself. And this was not him being honest with himself in the sense that, oh, Batman's the cause of all my problems. Right. So, I, I agree with you there. But not a Will Smith acting problem. That was a story problem. Will Smith nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, that was a fun fight scene. Um, and he, I think he kind of talked about, uh, like going on set and you know that he looked forward to fighting with ben affleck mm-hmm. and that was a fun scene to film for them yeah which is always fun to you know i mean take will smith and ben affleck the fact that they both get excited like oh dude i get to do a scene with will smith or ben affleck that's awesome yeah that is so freaking awesome because most people you know unfortunately they get so jaded and they're like okay let's do this but when you can still have that in you it's great mm-hmm it's it's cool that they did an action scene together because they have worked together before in Jersey Girls. So yeah. if you can remember that movie. But that was like a more emotional kind of drama, dramatic scene that they were together. So to have the flip side of being together and being just like badass boys filming an awesome action scene. Yeah. That must have been fun. I agree. Um, we, we sort of talked about uh, Jared Leto and the Joker, but let's sort of really dive into it. I, so I was looking the other day about Jared Leto because he'd been cast for a while, and I didn't remember that they actually offered the role to Ryan Gosling at first. That would have been weird. would have been hmm, very interesting. And they offered Harley to Emma Roberts. So can you imagine if that's the movie that we saw there? Tom Hardy, Ryan, Emma? Like, I, don't think, I don't think Emma would have... Like, hmm. She was... We'll talk about Nerve at... Uh, today as well on anatomy of movie but i don't think she was good in that movie but she doesn't have the acting chops to pull off a role like harley yeah sad to say it's just interesting to think uh but about jared leto i feel like he did a very good job we know how hard he prepared for this role send and did some weird things sending condoms and rats and whatnot to other people um, which is method, uh, yeah, totally method. Uh, I I hate that people are knocking his performance. I don't think that's fair. Uh, we didn't see enough of him. Yeah, I agree. And I remember watching the film. I was like, we only got a handful of scenes with Joker, and for such a big villain and such an iconic character, I was expecting more. And then to find out later that they did cut a lot, I think that's very unfortunate. But 
allows the audience to get excited to see more of him in future movies. I get that. But I think his portrayal was great because we've seen so many Jokers, and I think he was very standalone. I can remember this type of Joker. I, I, I honestly, I don't know why people think, like, he didn't do... I, the, the short amount of time that we got him, I thought he did fantastic. Like, he just he, he just took... He, he ate the scene, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the only... This is this is more of a movie thing. I knew the Joker could not be dead. When, when that helicopter crashes um, and Harley's sad about it, it's like, well, no. Unless I see him dead, he's mm-hmm. not dead. Yeah. Um, and even then, we see Superman dead and... We know he's not staying dead, so you, in <laughs> comic books, these yeah. characters are coming back. Absolutely. I I did really think that he made the Joker his own. Uh, people said that he stole Heath Ledger's voice. Mm-hmm. It was different. It was different. There were moments and things that he borrowed from different characters and played homages, uh, played homage to different characters, and even Jack Nicholson and and all all different Jokers that have been, but. I, I think people's bigger problem is that they don't like this version of the Joker. They don't want him to be a club owner. They don't want him to have grills. They don't Whatever it is, they don't like the aesthetics of it. Well, keep in mind, people, that that's not Jared Leto's choice. That has nothing to do with his performance. That's a, a decision that was made by the rest of the people around him. So I, I think that, yeah, and, Joe, and Jared Leto seems to be very bitter about this, too. He's come out and he said... Listen, I filmed a lot more. I gave a lot more. They didn't use some of my performances. There was enough... He said there was enough footage to make a Joker standalone movie. That's how much they filmed him. That he said... he quote. This is a quote from him. He said, if I die tomorrow, maybe they would release the Joker standalone movie because that's how much footage they have. Which, by the way, is a little bit in poor taste after what happened with Heath Ledger, I thought. But... <laughs> in this bit. But he, but he did say that's how much they really did film. So... I think it's a little bit of hyperbole, but I, I at the same time I understand that they probably shot a lot more than they put in. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and a lot of that was more of his backstory with Harley Quinn, which I do eventually want to see. But keep in mind, Harley Quinn is maybe getting a standalone movie. You don't think the Joker's backstory and her backstory is going to be part of that? You don't think we have ten? however many more films that we have, and we're not going to see any of that footage? Uh, to be honest, if they threw in another effing backstory in this goddamn movie. Really? The first 30 minutes was all about... Alright, let's introduce Deadshot and Margot Robbie. And then, okay, then here comes Amanda Waller. And hey, let me get out my book and show you. Then <laughs> we're gonna start people. with Will Smith. And then Margot Robbie. But we're not gonna introduce Slipknot because we're gonna kill him, so we're not spending time on that. Dead no. giveaway. <laughs> and then, by the way, when we when Joel, Joel and Rick Flagg and, and Amanda Waller come into the prison... Oh, what are we going to do? Let's introduce, once again, Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Thank you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and I, right. think th- I, I think that kind of hurt the movie, too, because it was very uh, repetitive. It's like we already got that, the same beats over and over again, which, I mean, it, it wasn't a long movie. But I, th- I think they kind of did that for, for maybe creative purposes, especially today. I feel Margot Robbie's definitely becoming a bigger name. Huge. And I think that maybe that took a good decision of why they showed more of Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie in this film compared to more Jared Leto. Not his movie. He's not. It's called Suicide Squad. He's not in the Suicide Squad. Jared Leto, the Joker, has never been and is not a member of the Suicide Squad, Harley. 
You don't in know this. if he wants to be in the Suicide Squad or well, not. I'm saying in this story, in this, it, what we saw, he's, he's not part of the Suicide Squad. So everybody who's saying, well, why wasn't he in the movie as much? Well, because it's called Suicide Squad. He's not. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's just so obvious why he's not in it yeah. more. But I, if if people want, people make up your minds because people want more of his performance, but then they don't like his performance. So which one is it? You know what? Everybody's going to complain about the Joker. We knew it was coming. Yeah, in a way. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I, I forget who I was talking about, but you know, there's going to be that. Like ten percent of your audience is going to be so freaking vocal, but at the end of the day, it just represents ten percent of your audience. Mm-hmm. So right. just, just make a good movie, and yes, in, in, in the nicest of ways possible. Forget about the ten percent. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> How did you guys feel about Viola's performance? Uh, I love Viola Davis. I think she's a phenomenal actress, and obviously award-winning. I, I think she was so cold and calculated. I was like, who the hell is this chick? Mm-hmm. And But she was so cool because she was put in a position of power where she had control over the most craziest guys in the planet. And I think it was so cool that she was just, she was calm throughout and I couldn't trust her. And I actually enjoyed it because I found she was way more unpredictable than a lot of these characters. I, I liked her for that sole reason. I mean, anytime you have one of these movies, as I mentioned, what they did well was they... You have to have one of the good guys be worse than the bad guys. And she certainly nailed that perfectly. Um, and, and to your point, Marissa, yeah, uh, Roxy knows quote all too well. You want to see a real person, get, show them, give them, put them in a position of power. And <laughs> she showed her true colors. Um, you know, and the, the weird part was that she was kind of nice towards the end where she let them have their espresso machines and BT. I never even understood that quote, by the way. I was like, one? Well, I never heard I was like, what did he say? Oh, I'll <laughs> get to that in a second. But on, uh, on Amanda Waller, Amanda Waller is a very famous co- uh, comic book character in the DC universe. She's huge. And she was on the TV show Arrow. And what happened was when the movie decided that they were going to use Amanda Waller, they pulled a lot of the Arrow characters, a lot of the TV characters, even though they're set on different Earths, they said, listen you got to kill off that character. We want to use that character, and we don't want it to be muddied by the usage of it on on television. So they very abruptly killed Amanda Waller. And I was really upset because I love this character. So I needed Viola Davis's performance to kick butt, so it just had that much more weight for me because I really wanted her to nail it. Mm -hmm. And I love her, and I've loved her in everything. And And I watch her show, and I've seen her movies, and to me... This performance was pretty close to perfect. The she wasn't in that much of it, and her her storyline was a little wonky at times, like them coming to save her, her us not knowing who was in there, that being supposed to be a big reveal, but it was kind of like eh, maybe that fell flat. But her performance, how cold she was when she just shoots everyone dead, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the, the look on her face and whatnot, I thought she did a really, really great job. Uh, and I have seen some negative things about her, too, saying that this was one of her weaker performances. And I, and I don't understand that because I, she's she, phenomenal. She worked with what she was given. And she was stoic, but she was also, like Amanda Waller, 
willing to give when she needed to give. And that was the way that she was able to get these people still on her side. No matter how evil she actually is, you want to work with her because she is in a position of power to be able to give you the things you want, such as BET. Now, let's talk about that for a second, because this was... Now, this is not you saying you hate BET. Let me just make that clear. I don't under... It, it's very challenging as a white female to talk about this, but I feel as if they they gave an inappropriate portrayal of Killer Croc in this movie, and that was a racist line, in my opinion. Why wouldn't they have him say something like, uh, I want Animal Planet. <laughs> I want HBO. <laughs> Wouldn't that be... Yeah, whatever it is. Why, I just didn't like the way that they portrayed this character. And it, it felt to me like they were pushing something that wasn't wasn't there with him. And uh, I also had a problem with his... He had such a big head and such a little body. And I, 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 I don't know. Crocodiles kind of are like that. They have big heads. Not like You should long. get Animal Channel, Animal Planet. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I should. He should too. Like that's. Uh, I just didn't like it. I thought that they they didn't do a good job. I just didn't hear it. I was like, what did he say? But why? Yeah. Why? Why is that what he's saying? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. He's a crocodile. Well, because his his real name is what is it? Way in something. Yeah, but, but that doesn't make sense in this story. I understand. It's it, it's a very racist assumption to be yeah. like, oh, because he's black. It, Originally, he wants to watch BT. It, it's a small thing, but I didn't like the move. I found it inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I just did. I'm sure BT kind of likes it though. You think? It's good promotion for them. Sure. Listen, why not? BT is the one who put after that's after the billboards with Madonna's thing. They're like, we saw that. Come watch us. Oh, that's funny. Oh, my goodness. So, like, I don't think they're they're against any sort of publicity. Okay. Um, I didn't understand Killer Croc just for character story because we didn't get a lot of screen time with him. Again, not knowing the background and backstory to him. And every time we saw him, we, he basically had one line that we could hardly hear. And I didn't know where he fit into the Suicide Squad. He wasn't supposed to. He's not originally in the Suicide Squad. It's a it's a different uh, character, and it's um, uh, Shark uh, King Shark, and he is a. We saw him on Flash TV show, but David Ayer didn't want to put him in because he's an all CGI character, and he I wanted see. to have an actor in there. But I, I thought that that transition wasn't justified. It was weird. I would have rather see what was supposed to be there or a great portrayal of Killer Croc, which we didn't get. So uh, it was a weird move. Yeah, and I'm just trying to remember, like, what purpose he had during the whole showdown. Well, he swam <laughs> through the water. Well, here's the... I, I don't know. But I, I'm surprised Anyone that... could swim. <laughs> and he swam through the water, and Enchantress can sense that they're behind the whatever, but she can't sense that he's underneath her? I mean, what? Yeah, I was just trying to are you? figure oh. out, like, okay, he has to have a shining moment in this movie. Well, but here's the thing. I, I agree with really you. Get that. I agree with you. Didn't have a shining moment. But if you asked me from the get go, which one of these is the most valuable person? If this, if, if this was like uh, after school, like we're picking teams, I would pick Killer Croc, as opposed to Harley Quinn, who just has a bat. Well, mm. Harley Quinn is the only one who isn't really a meta human. I mean, even Deadshot, who's got the the thing and he like kind of i mean i guess you could argue well that boomerang i would i would even pick killer croc over boomerang again just just logistics kind of like 
Well, they really underutilize Boomerang's powers here. Like, you've got somebody who can throw that thing and kill somebody, but instead of using him, we're going to use El Diablo to burn the place down? Like, why doesn't Boomerang, just from where he is, start chopping people? Well, he had a drone. That was his purpose, was the drone. Yeah. Like, he flew a Boomerang with a camera in it. It's like, oh, great, now we can spy on them. Yeah. And that was about it. Rest in peace, El Diablo. Oh. I miss him. But El Diablo was awesome. His moment. Yeah, he was so like, good. He was the only one who was actually strong enough and actually could have, and like, to pair up with that brother and actually have come somewhat of a showdown. I enjoyed it. I'm not positive that we needed El Diablo's character to grow in size like that, though. It was. Yeah, it was, it was interesting <laughs> yeah. that we've seen him get angry and fiery before and not seen him grow like that. That was an interesting choice, but. Again, not an actor thing. He nailed it. Okay, so I, I, one of the things I do want to commend him, the, the finale, like the ultimate how we get rid of the Enchantress, I thought worked really well because rather than have someone now they have to like go triple in size in some sort of weird way, it was just hardly, and she fooled it for, she fooled me at least, and it's like, okay, I'm going to go with the Enchantress. That sounds all good, but no, instead I'm going to rip her heart out. She fooled me too. That was a stronger moment for me because... You never know with Harley's character. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know. We don't know what she's capable of, and they did such a good job building to that point of saying to us, "Hey, you can't trust this girl. You cannot trust this girl." And then that moment where she made best friends with the squad. It was cool to see her rip the heart out. Yeah, and it's just great that the fact that you can end a fight on such a big moment, but without all the action of like, boo, boo, boo. Yeah, pretty much. And not. But to- then we did have the. You know, shooting at the end. Yeah, that's true. Of the explosion, because you have to have one big explosion at least. Always. Um, And not to be the huge feminist in the room and keep bringing it up, but watching two women face off each other against each other at the end there. It's just it was really cool. It's cool. You guys would rip each other's hearts. I was just gonna say that. I was like, it was cool to see if another female like actually take out another female because we don't really get that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Especially in comic book. In real life, when you guys have cat fights. Yeah, but we don't rip each other's film. heart out. We rip each other's hair out. Come yeah, on. come on. Oh, I'm just you saying, know? there's plenty of girl and girl violence. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, yeah, I, it was just it was very unexpected of Harley Quinn, and that's why I was like, yeah, okay, she's cool in that sense. Yes, I, I, I you agree. You cool, girl. He's you're like, cool. yeah, all right. You get you get some. Uh, you props. earned your place. <laughs> and then her pudding comes and breaks her heart. Oh, pudding. <laughs> um, any other story stuff that you guys want to talk about before we move on to some of the more production aspects of things? No. If mm. I think of anything, I'll throw it in there. All right. <laughs> um, any fun Easter eggs that you guys kind of also saw? I mean, there's there's articles upon articles of just Easter eggs. Here's one that I like that I didn't know about because I've, I've read uh, Harley comics for a while and I know more about Harley, but I didn't know her origin story. So... Tom Dini, who's one of her, uh, sorry, Paul Dini, who's one of her creators, um, was watching Days of Our Lives, and there was a girl on the show named Arlene Sorkin, who now voices Harley, and she was in some dream sequence as a clown, like, similar to the way that Harley looks in a lot of the comics, and he was like, wow, I feel like this is very Harley, and he... If you you can pull up the YouTube link and you can watch it, but she literally looks like an early version of Harley, and mm-hmm. it's so bizarre. But it's from a soap opera, which blew my mind that that was a thing. I just I loved that little bit. As as women, what did you guys think of the outfit for Harley Quinn? Because obviously Margot mm-hmm. has gone on record saying that like she didn't feel 100 percent comfortable in it. Like she could have gone with the 
clown costume rather than like booty shorts or whatever. Yeah, I, I felt this. Her character, wardrobe wise, just physicality wise, I think it was very objectified for for women. It's like there were shots where they purposely had her change in front of all the guys, and like the slow pan out, and you can see the whole body shot of Margot Robbie. Granted, she's gorgeous. We know that. There were moments that were strictly objectifying her, and that made me angry. Harley Quinn has been a sexualized character since her origin. She has always been this character, and if you want to stay true to the comics, then this is absolutely how to do so. So I understand why people are upset, but this is something that she would wear. This is a way that she would act. This is who she has always been. So to change this aspect of her would be because we're trying to be more PC, because we're trying to make a statement, but it would not be being true to who the character is, which is why I think that there has been such uh, polar opposite opinions on whether this is good or bad. Really huge comic book fans wanted to see this version of Harley, and people at home that have children are like, no, I don't want that. But that's why I made a very strong point at the beginning. This is not a female role model. This is not a statement like, Hey, kids, dress like this and be a bad guy. That's cool. No, this character is out of her mind crazy. Not who you aspire to be. Not someone to look up to. That That is made so clear to me. So it, it's not like we have somebody dressing like this who's the next president of the United States. And it's like, girls, in order to do well, <laughs> you need to dress like this. Like, if you want to be crazy, all right, then dress like this. Fair enough. Uh, last question. I, uh, I I just thought of this. What the hell was the vat of whatever the hell that was? Mm-hmm. This is a, one of the... The Joker has many origin stories, and the vat of chemicals is one of them, where that's how he became the Joker. And a lot of the versions of the Joker, the Joker doesn't even remember how he became the Joker, because that's how crazy he really has become. But it's about a vat of chemicals, and he falls into a vat of chemicals. And that's how Harley is made also, because if you... If you know Harley's backstory, she has a doctorate, and she is like this normal girl, which we saw those flashbacks of her being this beautiful, blonde Harleen Quinzel, and like totally a bombshell who falls for this guy, and then her turning into Harley Quinn going through the vat of chemicals. Uh, Now, I don't know what kind of chemicals don't leave you with scars and just, like, completely torture your body and you come out and you're just a little paler than when you went in. Uh, Apparently these chemicals. But that's what's going on there. That's how they transitioned into who they became and and those villains. It's very strange because the coloring of it, you know, like just the melting of the clothes and what, I don't know. Yeah, that's straight from the comics, an origin, one version of an origin story. I think it's interesting that they use chemicals which is such a physical property to change something so mentally drastic within a character rather than physically mm, interesting that's uh that was um jack nicholson's backstory was with chemicals too though not not heath ledger's although we never quite got what heath ledger's was he made up like 50 different things so maybe there's uh there's a great little youtube series called film theory that i like to watch every now and then talking about um right now like the origin of the joker it's going to be a two-parter, so I don't know what actually happens. So we can't, I don't know. Cool. I mean, that would be awesome to watch because there really isn't one. There's so many. And then the Joker is such a joker, a.k.a. a liar, that there's stories that never could have happened. And he's a war vet in some of them and all, all different things. Well, check it out. Check out that, that <laughs> those videos because, yeah, they're actually fun. Um, 
All right, so let's let's move on to production. Um, um, let's why see. are you Why are you sighing about production? Are you sad about it? <laughs> In some ways, because okay, I you know, uh, you, we can talk about the costuming and whatnot, but why, why don't we jump a little bit ahead, if we will, and because um, a lot of people are citing this in terms of the campaigns and the promotions, right? We talk a lot about that on the show, but I, I thought it was one of the most brilliant promotions for a movie ever. How come? I just think it resonated really well with people. It's just, it it seemed fun, right? And that's why I was expecting it to be fun, was because the way the music in the in the trailers um, and whatnot, and they did include a, a bunch of the one-liners, so I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be a fun thing. And I think couple of things happened uh when you had mentioned when when batman v superman didn't pan out the way that it should have or they were expecting it to then a lot of pressure then got onto this movie that wasn't there before i feel uh and so then therefore okay this was going to be the big movie and and then when the reaction hit based on the trailers they're like we have something here that that can do really well and then they made the shift of okay the, the the company that edited the trailer why don't we have them also do the movie and the, it, it just, uh, I get you want to reward people for their work. Maybe not the right use of that. Interesting. How'd you feel, Marissa? Well, not, I didn't feel that way at all. Because for, you know, photography and cinematography of this film, I thought, again, it was a dark film. Dark content, and it, the world looked dark and gritty. And it definitely reflected what the characters were and what they were going through and i thought it was it was beautifully shot though there there were so many cool composition shots that i was like hey how dead shot set that one shot up and took out so many people in one shot that was awesome it was just like so well planned and you know the um cinematographer for this movie roman vasyanov Hopefully mm-hmm. I didn't butcher his last name. He's done a lot of dark films, too. You know, Fury and Thank You for Your Service. And Watch, those are dark movies, dark content. And I definitely felt that it was in that same type of genre. Yeah, and briefly, speaking of Roman and therefore speaking of Fury, we nobody's mentioned Scott Eastwood once when talking about this movie because, oh, my God, was that boy in the smallest role of all time that we put him in. Like, he had actually three lines, and everybody for months and months was guessing wh- who that character was going to be. And then he was, like, a random soldier that was in it for two minutes, which I thought was funny. But back to your point about the way this looked, I loved the colors. I loved the, the darkness. I loved the way this was shot. I thought it was cool. I thought it was weird. I thought that it said David Ayer also, the way that he directed and did the way things looked. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I did. I, I didn't find a problem with it not being bright enough. Um, and with the marketing, I liked I, I liked some of this color stuff. I, I didn't like the cereal box image that we had finally that had all of them as like lucky charms in there i thought that was weird (laughs) i didn't see that Um, one but there were a lot of trailers and a lot of images and a lot of just snippets of videos coming in for this movie and even me who loves to get so much before there was so so much phil so much going into this i think people got tired of the marketing Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody was like, "Okay, we get it. They're they're the bad guys." You know, they just kept saying it over and over again. So I, I think people were maybe a little bothered by it. Yeah. Well, I, I 
I would say to, to Marissa's point, um, I thought between the cinematography and the way, like if you take out each of these sections, and I think that's what a lot of these trailers and promotions were, they're great standalone pieces. Mm-hmm. But I think the the, the, uh, the sum of the parts is whatever the damn term is. The sum of the parts is not the whole or something. It's greater than. Yeah, it's greater than. Or less than. I don't know. You get what I'm saying. Greater than the sum of its parts. Okay. Yeah. Like, again, if you took out, like, the, the opening scene introducing uh, Deadshot and Harley Quinn, we're great. Did I need it six different ways? No, I didn't. Yeah. I, I did like the visual shot of how Harley Quinn literally in those ribbons, what are bed sheets? Um, that whole shot and when they're in the cage. In the mm-hmm. cage. It was all white. It was bright. And white usually represents like purity, good. And it's completely not her character. So, and she's blonde, like and she's angel, blonde. angelic. And, and like the way that they set up like someone who's so crazy and morbid and dark as something that's all white in a white environment, like I th- think that added to the unpredictability of her character. I agree with that. I thought that was really cool. And even by the end with the espresso machine, and we saw in some of the previews, like that became a big. It's a GIF or GIF. I never know. The, Just pick yeah, one. GIF, GIF, the GIF, the GIF of her sipping on the espresso, and people kept writing things like I'm I don't. Mine too. Yeah, exactly. So I, Harley Quinn reading Harley Quinn. <laughs> even even that. So like the all white somebody who's sipping on their thing. The way that the marketing painted that, and and even though those images in the film were really strong for me. Yeah, um, I, I I thought they worked well. I mean, what I'll give it a lot of credit. I they use the colors really well both in terms of production, costuming, and then I also, I'll give them credit with even the filters um, of the actual, you know, the, the way they colorized it at certain times, like uh, when she is, Harley Quinn's going through her mind trips, there's that purple tone, and it looks like she's high or whatever. I did enjoy that. Uh, the graphics themselves, when they, like, showcase all the people, I thought it was a little bit cheesy. I didn't need that portion of it were you guys able to read some of the things i it was so fast and so yeah. weird it I, was I, so fast if you're gonna do it commit to it so that i can i i did like the choice but i wanted them to commit harder so that for people who didn't know about these characters they could actually learn about them because isn't that why you're putting up all these words and things that people have done exactly um i liked it visually because it was you know cool to look at Unfortunately, we couldn't read everything, but what was going through my mind was, like, we were having the overload of music per character, so, like, to get their just emotional tone, but also that there were probably, if you think about it, there were screenshots. You could pretty much screenshot every character during the introduction, use them as, like, trading cards or something. Mm -hmm. So, graphically, it was cool, but visually, as a video filming, not so much. Are we too old? Maybe. Is this for the YouTube generation? Oh, I like, liked it. I liked no, it. Graphic so I'm design, young. There, there, yeah, there's a difference between graphic des- good graphic design and good video film. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I say I say that because maybe for the the audience in terms of how young they were, you know, it's a PG-13 movie as opposed to an R-rated, which we haven't yet to fully talk about. But um, maybe it plays to them. Just, in terms of the Rick Flag one, they had, I think it had the least amount. But on there it said, like, um, uh, has a handicap of three in golf. And then they had the sound effect of the, you know, the, the putter hitting the, you know, the golf ball. So they, they put a lot of thought into it. But, it, again, it was just sensory overload between the text and the, the, the music and, and, and the sound effects. It's just and – the, and the dialogue. It was just so much. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. Visually, it looked cool. 
had it been more than 10 seconds. You need to make a stronger choice. Either yeah. don't include it or include it, but live by it and say, this is our way of letting you into our world, which I didn't think they did either. But I did like the idea. I'm trying to think, like, I, I forget if Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels had kind of a version of that. Mm. Um, and I think I think they did. I don't know if they used graphics, but typically, like, you don't want to go more than three things. And this was just... Rule right, of Going back mm-hmm. to Killer Croc, you had Killer Croc, you had his name, you had this, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, uh, just too much text. I didn't know where to look. And that's the biggest problem. When it comes up, I'm like, okay... Am I supposed to be memorizing his face, his name, the things about him, his backstory? Is that a pink unicorn I see? Like, there was just... Oh, what the hell was up with the pink unicorn to, to make a side tangent? I, what is that? I uh, don't have the answer for you. Okay. <laughs> I don't have the answer. He was very There's into been a it. a lot of commentary on it. Some people say it's an, an actor thing. Some people are saying directorial, mm. directorially that was a choice. Uh, I don't know. I kind of liked it. It was quirky. It was weird. I, I'm not sure. I don't yeah. remember a unicorn in it because it went by so fast. He he keeps using um, the Jack Courtney's character keeps get he keeps the pink unicorn in his jacket and keeps like picking it up. And oh, it was that in the, yeah. 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 It was weird. Um, but you guys, I have, think it had a payoff to it. No, no. not no, really. There's no payoff. You guys keep mentioning um, the music and not. Loving that. Um, can we get into the music a little bit? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I'll say this for my own, and then you can get into it. Yeah, it's yeah. not that I hated the music. Uh, we could literally list all of this. This <laughs> is like three movies of, of music combined into one. Yeah. Yes. I uh, Okay. I, I'm a big fan of music as well. But for a film, and especially the first 10 to 15 minutes of how they introduced this movie... I clearly remember thinking, I was like, okay, we had this awesome composition score from the actual composer for the movie, and then it immediately goes into a recognizable stream, uh, mainstream song, and then to introduce Deadshot, and then we went into a different song to introduce Harley Quinn, and then a different song for this person. It was song after song after song in the first 15 minutes. I'm like, oh my god, can we just get back to regular score, please? What's so interesting about that is that I hearing CCR and hearing ACDC and hearing Eminem and hearing the White Stripes, I really felt like they were giving each one of these characters an individual tone, and I loved it. So uh, it's really an unpopular opinion that I have here because I know most people thought it was sensory overload with all the music switching, but I felt that I got a sense of every one of these characters with that because I really didn't get it from the graphic and being able to read it but we got a song for each person and I was like oh this person's like a little sexier and smoother oh this person's edgier and rockier so I thought that was a really cool choice I would have liked to see that music get uh, used full circle and then kind of bring it back and have people have more theme songs and when this person's doing something that's really awesome we bring back in their song kind of thing but we didn't really touch back on it and that was my bigger problem if we're gonna do that if everybody's got their tune then let's let's use that let's really go for it again make a stronger choice yeah. there I get what they were doing we're trying to like get this person is this kind of tone in X, Y, and Z but and I think you know the without me and Bohemian Rhapsody at the end. I think they were nicely placed throughout the film. 
My problem was the first 10, 15 minutes, it was just too much back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And it was, it got old really fast. So, I, I love the idea that I, knowing who the people are, I wanted your favorite song, not your entire iPod. Mm. This is how I would describe that. Got it. Uh, yeah, so, I agree with that. Okay. You know. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I always, I'm a, I'm a big fan of score, and, like, after the initial introduction of characters, I don't remember the music that much, and yet, when Eminem, Without Me, came on, then it was, like, another moment, but once they really get into the city, and to me, uh, until Bohemian Rhapsody comes at the end, I don't remember anything in terms of music. Hmm. It just was, and that's why it, it did feel kind of a little bit dead at that certain point. Interesting. Um, so... okay yeah that's and but again that's why like when you have people who edit trailers like in a trailer typically in two and a half minutes you have about five to six song changes that doesn't necessarily apply to movies yeah like imagine for a two-hour movie how much music that would actually be if you follow that logic but in their trailers, they had their Bohemian, Rhap- uh, Bohemian Rhapsody trailer, and then the, it was the, that song the whole time. So their trailers, both of them, I think, had one song the whole time. So they broke convention. Yeah. They did it backwards. Yeah. Most trailers have at least three different songs. Hmm. Yeah, most have like six. Usually. Oh, yeah, and then they have the You Don't Own Me. But the, yeah, they had a smaller amount in the trailers. It's a great version of that song. Yeah, it was cool. It was, so good. It was really cool. Yeah, you know what's fun? Like uh, dissecting trailers is actually really fun. Yeah, it's a fun thing. They're fun to edit as done well. Way to... No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> they can be. It's like a six-month ordeal. Trust me. Um, now, uh, Rox, you were over at Comic Con this year. I uh, was. Um, any anything that you got to glean from the Suicide Squad stuff there, or just Warner Brothers in general? Yeah, they had a whole thing over at the Hard Rock. They also, a lot of the Comic-Con backpacks were Suicide Squad. They were really doing it up. They had a secret screening there. Um, they they give a full force to DC and Suicide Squad. Um, although Jeff Johns was not present as much as we thought he would be, and he was very shortly after announced as the head of DC and, and all these projects. So um, it was interesting. It was It was interesting. Are you just asking about the what well, it was like there? That and, and also, you know, because I know obviously Comic Con is is huge promotion for them, and I know in 2015 they utilized that um, to kind of build the movie up. Yeah, it was for me though. It was almost like okay, Suicide Squad that's happening so short after this. Here's our presentation. Here's our stuff. You know to see it already. We've already done promotion. Now let's talk about Wonder Woman and Justice League. Like that's really what they were focused on because we had those two. Uh, we had those two trailers. One of them is a sizzle. The other is a trailer, but of Wonder Woman and Justice League. So they were trying to say like, look forward, look over here, look over here. We know you know about Suicide Squad, so we're just we'll show you all this stuff. But look over here. This is what we have ahead because of all of the internal changes they've made by pushing Snyder a little bit aside bringing Ben Affleck on as an EP of all of these things, making Jeff Johns the head. They're saying, listen, guys, we know you didn't love Man of Steel. We know you didn't love BBS. We know you didn't love Suicide Squad. This is our course correction right now. So let's show you how that's going to be implemented in Wonder Woman. Let's show you how that's going to go in Justice League. Suicide Squad, we already finished. Like, that already happened. So let's give you something new to talk about. Yeah, shiny toys, shiny toys. Something exciting. the, 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 The Captain Lou. 
Exactly. The whole thing. Yeah, they're they're Roxy Lab. Marissa knows a little bit, but Roxy at this point knows the whole history. Check out Captain Lou on YouTube, and then you can be part of the inside joke too. But I think I check out the Tomorrow Show basically every single episode <laughs> yes, because that's true. That's true. I don't think that's a better thing to plug. It, the show. Well, not even that. I don't do. think people would understand Captain Lou in terms of the the whole idea is um, basically just not blinking. And if things don't go your way, it act like it never happened. Right. It's essentially that. So yeah, that's kind of what they're doing. Like, okay, we did these three movies and they all got 20% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, by the way, look over here. Wonder Woman, you guys loved her. It's Gal. She's so pretty. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we're not going to look. Speaking of that, it's a good good segue into it. Let's let's talk about Rotten Tomatoes. And and for for the first time that I can recall, a petition to shut down... Rotten Tomatoes. I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. I know. I know. I, I agree with that, but also, come on, people. <laughs> I know. Really? Because the critics don't like the movie you like, you want to shut down the site? What? Okay. What? Couple it's of not things. necessary. The petition started before the movie was publicly available. So it's like, okay, it's one thing to disagree with critics if the movie had already come out and you'd seen it and you have your own opinion. But to say... Hey, critics, your opinion sucks because it's not what we're anticipating the movie to be. I don't think it's a justifiable way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, furthermore, <laughs> although Fandango took over the majority of Rotten Tomatoes, Warner Brothers still has a freaking stake in Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's true. Uh, uh, critics are that. I think critics are just that. They're critics. So you know what to expect from them. They're going in. They're looking for certain things. If they don't get those things, they're going to give it a bad review. People need to keep in mind that Rotten Tomatoes works differently than you think it does. You don't give it a percentage as a critic. That just means that 26% of critics thought that it was worse than it was good. They, they gave it a negative instead of a positive. So even if they're giving it a 49 in their minds, even if it's just a slightly edging on worse, it just goes to bad. So 26% of the critics didn't like it. That's not saying that people gave it a 26%. It's very different. Do you guys know how... Okay, I, I'm going to... I'm gonna to try to drop a little bit of knowledge, and you guys let me know if it's actually interesting. If it's not, just tell me to shut the shut Phil, up. Phil, Phil's drop the no. knowledge. Okay, as a studio, <laughs> you have the right to withhold um, certain reviews and request it. In fact, of Rotten Tomatoes to to have them hold it. Right. So, if for example, the Monday, if, if, if on Monday of this week we were going to check out Sausage Party, there is a way I that saw that last night. Was it good? Yeah, it was really good. Very good. We'll talk about it next week. Um, but th- in theory, if you checked of this Monday, um, it could have had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes because, uh, it, you know, studios can ask Rotten Tomatoes, hey, can you just put out these certain reviews? And that's why if you really check into it, it's got like only 12 reviews um, instead of the normal 200 for a big movie or 100 at least. Then – by uh, I think it's around Wednesday because it has to be a 48-hour turnaround of when the movie comes out. Then all the press has to be released, right? The embargo is over. And that's when you will start to then see the decline. Mm. Um, if I, I, I can't 100% verify because I wasn't like looking for it in, in, uh, with Suicide Squad. But the fact that David – like the Friday before that Monday – um, it was already like talking about reviews even though they weren't out. I think Warner Brothers – was in on this in, in the sense of knowing how badly they were going to get bashed. 
and we're course correcting already. As of the the day that I saw it, which was the Tuesday before it came out, it had a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it was already doing very poorly. Uh, and Warner Brothers, you're right, Phil, they knew. They knew, they saw it. But what are you supposed to do at that point? The movie's in theaters. What, are, what do you do? Leave it Make up to... Make a better movie. I don't well, know. I, I think, don't know. I think they leave it up to the audience decision now, you know, and it's word of mouth. And to see, yeah, you had the critics, you know, reviews and their percentage, quote-unquote, but then now just leave it up to the actual fans of the stories of the characters of movies. Well, you do, you do what you just said, but you also do a couple other things. Number one, you sell a lot of merch, which they have. You realize that you have a gold mine in Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. People want to buy that merch. So they, in theaters, started selling a lot of different Suicide Squad stuff. You also let your actors do a lot of publicity. So people fall in love with these actors and they want to go see the movie they were in. Will Smith, Margot Robbie, Jared Leto, all were hitting major, major outlets and, and their names were all over the place. So that's why, despite the negative reviews, people still went out to see this movie and, hey... I don't even. I don't think Warner Brothers is caring that much right now. All right, it had twenty six percent. They're laughing straight to the bank. Well, yeah. the, I think the second weekend is going to be very telling because from from Friday to Saturday there was about a sixty percent drop in terms of ticket return. Yeah, I think the major, the super fans already saw it, and the second weekend not going to be the strongest second weekend a movie has ever had. Uh, so we'll mm. see. I mean, it, 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 it's it'll is be it watchable. Do you think? This film has a rewatchability factor to it. Certainly, much more than BVS. I will rewatch it. No, I don't think it's particularly rewatchable. Yeah, it's like would people actually actively go back to the theater to rewatch it? Yeah, I I will and still have this money. This movie make money. Mm. It depends how much you have fun with the characters. Again, like if you really love Deadshot or you loved Harley Quinn, um, then yeah, you can go back and you can have fun with it. I I, I do think there is. Again, it's it's short enough where it's only two hours. I think it could have been slightly shorter, but that's another story. Um, again, like to, to, to the fact that I don't know, may, maybe there's a hangover effect from BVS where like I've already given that movie like 14 hours of my life probably mm-hmm. <laughs> that I don't want to enter too much into the universe. But uh, but this movie a lot more so. Yeah, I think people will. But it just depends. I mean, it's got a B plus on Cinema Score, so it's not an A, but it's not bad uh it's kind of how i felt about it yeah. it's not an a but yeah. it's not bad i wouldn't give it an f <laughs> that's for sure well i don't think i've ever given any film an f unless it was absolutely atrocious um is it a 26 on rotten tomatoes i don't think so i i don't i really want to know that side of it how they fully do it because it's not like there's an algorithm to it no no one at rotten tomatoes literally reads every single review it's like oh this is uh, 46 based off of this review. <laughs> it's all, you know, so 26, that's... Which, by the way, that is a score that makes it worse than Batman v Superman. Yeah, and I think this movie was better. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to ask critics that, like, do you really think that this movie is worse than that? Martha. Martha, <laughs> Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha. Hey, um... So speaking of that, you, you had asked this before we went on. Um, 
what our uh, perceived lineup of, of quality, let's say, is in terms of the three movies. Mm-hmm. Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and now this. Um, I don't know. What's the answer for you? My favorite was Suicide Squad uh, so far. And in the middle was BVS. And the one I liked the least was Man of Steel. Uh, I had a... I have had a big problem with BVS and Man of Steel. My major BVS problem was the Martha stuff. My major Man of Steel problem was the dog and the dad stuff, which I just cannot get over. A lot of people can't. I just can't. So because well, of that, kind of dad. because of that, yes, I thought Suicide Squad, there were some things I didn't love, like Enchantress, like Killer Croc, but there wasn't one thing where I was like, I can't get over this like the other two and that's what puts it in first for me interesting you know what i enjoyed man of steel and yeah there were some moments but overall i really liked man of steel i liked the superman story i would put man of steel suicide squad then bvs bvs pissed me off Mm. that made me angry no yeah for me for me it's man of steel suicide squad then bvs so you guys have the same one yeah yeah Um, it, it, interesting, right? So, the, speaking of how highly anticipated this was, uh, this this was nominated for an teen-cipated movie, uh, uh, and then choice movie actor for anticipated movie as well with Will Smith, um, you know, and then uh, Margot uh, Margot Robbie and Kara were chosen for the actress side of it, um, and it won in both the former and latter categories. I think that's good also because, you know, I think it's the teenage demographic that would be huge fans of these movies and these characters. So that's completely believable. I love how the Teen Choice Awards is like half the people that go there are like over 30. That's (laughs) that's another story for another day. Um, All right. So why don't we finish up talk? Let's let's finish up with sequels, because obviously there's that great singer at the end and we know we're heading into Justice League. Yeah, we've got Wonder Woman, Justice League, Flash, Aquaman. That's the next two years of things that we have. We might be having another Batman movie. Um, Which Ben Affleck is supposedly set to direct. There's supposed to be a couple of them that he's going to do. They now are talking about having another Superman movie. So by the credits that we saw, that was leading us into Justice League. Is Batman the world's worst detective? Why do you say that? Because he, he he can never figure out his own thing. He has to be handed the answer. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think he's great. But what was more interesting is the comment that Amanda Waller gives to Batman, which is about his night job, which would mean that Amanda Waller knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, which mm-hmm. puts us in a, an interesting spot here. So how many people know Batman is Batman? Who is Batman trying to recruit? We did see Flash even in this movie, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, But how does he do that? Who recruits who? Who's Wonder Woman recruiting? We're looking for Aquaman also. We've got all these moving parts. Uh, So that will be, it'll be interesting to see if any of the Suicide Squad characters make their way over to the other movies, like Batman did for this one or Flash did. Well, we know Harley and the Joker are out of the jail. Supposedly, yeah. unless all of a sudden they get caught <laughs> right as they're exiting. And that's why Margot's pushing for a, a Harley movie, mm-hmm. as she should. Yeah. I, I think there's enough to, enough background and intrigue 
for the Harley character itself to flesh out a full movie. Mm -hmm. Same with Joker, and I think that's why they can stand alone, because they are just so well padded with storyline. That'd be fun to watch. I I definitely agree with that. Instead of us focusing... I mean, Green Lantern's going to happen because people want Green Lantern, but we haven't heard anything really about it, except that it's going to be a a Green Lantern core movie, like a buddy movie. And Shazam, which we don't know that much about, right now we should strike why the iron is hot. Harley is hot. Both, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) We get it. Yeah, figuratively. But she is, so why don't we put our efforts into that movie? People want to see more Leto. People want to see more Marco. Mm Mm-hmm. By the way, Margot is great in Legend of Tarzan. Highly underrated movie. Just FYI, if you do yeah. want more Margot. Cool. And in a different role. She's great in all the movies that we've covered with Margot. See for Zachariah. Focus. Very unknown movie. Um, so there you have it. All right, final thoughts. Marissa, why don't we start with you? Overall, it was fun. I enjoyed this because, I, admittedly, Superman is my favorite character, and we didn't see him, and he's dead, but he's coming back. So, And I don't really know the Suicide Squad character. So I was very interested into like seeing these nice, fun, well, they're not nice, but you know, fun characters that I don't know of. And they were fun to watch all these adventures. And I would probably see another Suicide Squad movie if they mm. came out with one. Jared Leto just announced that he really would like to see the Joker and Superman do a movie together. So that, yes. that seems like it's totally up your alley. So for that. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, in general, I think this is a movie that is worth seeing in theaters. I don't want people to be turned off by the incredibly bad Rotten Tomatoes score because make up your own mind. If you are a DC fan, you'll definitely find aspects of this that you really enjoy. So that's a good thing. There's great chemistry between Margot and Will. Uh, some of the character choices are really strong you got to go into this with some popcorn so you can laugh at the parts that are painfully bad like (laughs) enchantress and if you if you do that then i think you'll be all set all right well i think i think final judgment for me will pass when uh wonder woman comes out of whether or not warner brothers can actually make a superhero movie um they've in some ways gotten better and better this is uh you know this is a much improved effort certainly um but it remains to be seen fully how well they can do it. Um, so, yeah, that's my opinion. But overall, you know, I, it was enjoyable enough. Not the most raving review in the world, but mm-hmm. uh, a B, B. I would give it a B. Not a B plus, but a B. Okay. Um, so there you have it. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. As always, for more, you can follow us at The Popcorn Talk on Twitter and Instagram and all that. Also, Roxy has mentioned does DC movie news here on the network, so catch that yeah. every Thursday. Not quite every Thursday, but almost every Thursday. Yeah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Always. <laughs> As the eyes roll. Uh, and you can catch Marissa at Serafini TV. That's right. Um, and that's about it. We'll be doing uh, Nerve. Uh, that's, a, that's a fun movie, so check that out. Also, we did Batman v Superman, so worth going down the vault uh, there, I think we did Man of Steel back in the day. Wow. Um, so, you know, definitely get your fix of DCEU. What a weird <laughs> abbreviation. For mm-hmm. me. Um, and, you know, we've got Sausage Party coming out soon, War Dogs, uh, Peach Dragon, all that fun stuff, and uh, all the movies that we mentioned, Wonder Woman. Hopefully we're still around when they'll come out, which I... What do you I, mean? I'm willing to bet we will be. <laughs> all right, guys, we'll see you next time on another Anatomy of Movie. 
producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.